Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's not often a word used when describing Tom Brady, and that's humiliation. You might use it when you're describing what Tom Brady does to the opposition, but not humiliation upon himself. That's where we begin here in the GM Shuffle. And this is a cautionary tale, Mike, for anybody who says, God, you know I don't gamble on football? Because if I had a survivor pool, because if I had like one of those eliminator pools, I would feel so confident the Bucs were going to beat the Saints. I'm like, oh yeah, Brady and the offense been rolling. Now they have Antonio Brown, the defense and Dominican Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, good against the run, Drew Brees can't throw the ball down the field. Instead, Drew Brees throws for 222 yards and four touchdowns. He regains the NFL career touchdown passing lead, and they embarrassed Brady and the Buccaneers. I'm thinking of Carrie Underwood. I've been waiting all day for Sunday night, and instead at the half, I'm like, I might as well just go watch The Undoing on HBO or go watch Fargo. This was a complete mismatch. 38-3. to They get routed. Uh, Brady sacked three times. He throws for 209, 22 of 38, but only three completions for 31 yards to Antonio Brown. Seriously, what the hell happened? You know, that's a great question because, you know, I, you know that, that was one of those games. I didn't see this one coming either. I, I thought the Bucs would rally. They played poorly in the first game in New Orleans. But their defense, when you really studied the tape, their defense played much better in week one. Brady turned the ball over, which led to problems, and they gave up 31 points. But this one, from start to finish, from the very first play of the game, when when Jordan pushed the right tackle worse back into Brady and Brady's hand got convoluted and tried to throw that pass, lucky it wasn't intercepted. The pressure was relentless. And it wasn't pressure that was noticeable. It was pressure that makes Brady slide right to left. And this is why it's so damn important, you know, and this is the essence of football today is how you coordinate your pass rush. And the and the Saints did a wonderful job of pressuring Brady, not as much they sacked him three times, but it was the inside pressure. It was the uncomfortableness that he felt that made Tom Brady look 43 years old and he wasn't the same player. And, and their offense really, once again, had no answers. I mean, give all the credit to the Saints because the Saints did exactly what they do every week. They had multiple formations, multiple personnel groups. They throw check down passes. Guys make guys miss. They keep moving the ball. They play $5 blackjack and they and they win the hand. It's really remarkable, right? I mean, it was. You you mentioned the cautionary tale. May I just take a side road here? Please. There is a great podcast by Tim Harford called The Cautionary Tale. If you ever want to just learn things, just the random stuff that happened in the world, Cautionary Tale, brilliant pod. Nice. I look forward to checking it out. It's also by Pushkin, which is also part of Cadence. So it's a promotion for Cadence as well. I love it. We're spreading the wealth here, as always, here on the GM Shuffle. Um, Brady gets picked three times. Let's first hear from Bruce Arians on that constant pressure, which you mentioned, Mike, from the Saints defense and the pressure helps you know but when you when you're when you're down 28 you're not running the ball the, the pressure's coming and uh so yeah i mean it's still no excuse for interceptions but you know he was getting hit and uh there were there were it's, not, it's definitely not on him 
All right, so Bruce Arians not blaming Brady. Remember week one, he was clearly quick to blame Tom Brady whenever there was a mistake. But the Saints, Michael Thomas is back. Emmanuel Sanders is back. That helped out their offense. But again, this was this was the story of their defense, Mike. And, and obviously for the Bucs, once you get in a huge hole like that, of course you're not going to run the ball. You're going to throw the ball. And the Saints know, and they can just gang up and just, you make them one-dimensional offensively. Yeah, and, and I think that the bigger issue here is, is this is two weeks in a row now, right? I mean, the Giants pressured him. He didn't play well against the Giants. This is, now the Saints pressured him kind of in a similar way. You know, push the pocket back, keep Brady in front of you. You know he's not going to move. He's going to be in one spot, you know, and I think this is a little bit of what the league's about and how people rush you is different from week to week. Like, let's take, and we're jumping ahead here, but like the Raiders, when they played Brady, they couldn't generate any pass rush. The Raiders Raiders had a hard time. The Bucks' offensive line dominated that game because the Raiders don't have any power in their defensive front. They have really nobody that can really power their back from the edges. Crosby's light, Farrell's light, they can't power. But when you can power tackles back like the Saints did or like the Giants did, when you have power... They're not great rushers. They're power rushers. That bothers Brady more than those guys that run up the field past the quarterback. So to me, this is this is Bruce's dilemma. You know, he wasn't behind 28 to nothing. He was behind seven to nothing, and they couldn't get first downs. You know, they didn't have any way to really get their offense going from the very start of this game. I mean, they went, I think, four drives without getting a first down. I mean that that's that's how you get behind twenty eight to nothing, and then you can't get off the field on th- you can't get off the field. They had breeze, it felt like you had them. It disappointing all the way around. If you're a Bucks fan, here's what you got to say to yourself: unless we keep Brady perfectly from getting hit, we will not reach the Super Bowl. That's what you have to say to yourself. We've got to do better in the offensive front. That's a big takeaway, certainly for the Buccaneers as the Saints, three-time defending division champions win their fifth straight game and that season sweep of the Bucs who are now 6-3 and three, New Orleans is at 6-2. and two. We talked about Tampa Bay, poor offensive showing. Well, if you want putrid offense, look no further than the Chicago Bears. I mean, they have, I think, what's capable, Mike, of a Super Bowl defense, but their offense is so porous. They're playing the Tennessee Titans, and I'm looking and seeing the score, 17-0 after three quarters. Like They, they score a couple late touchdowns just to make the score respectable, but don't fool yourself, okay? Just because it says 24-17, this was not that close because uh, Nick Foles and their offense can't do anything. With that kind of a defense, normally you feel like, well, as long as you can run the ball, you play time of possession, you should be okay, but they can't do that effectively with with, uh, Montgomery. And before we really dissect it, take a listen to what Matt Nagy had to say about this offense. You know, there's going to be a play here or there where you're going to get beat. And I'm saying everywhere, like, There'll be a, there'll be a mistake that that we make. Um, everybody, whether it's coaches and or players, but the ones that that bother me are the ones where you have the senseless ones with the the you know the penalties that set you back five yards and make a second and fifteen, or they're drive killers. You know those are the ones that. And again, you know we're discussing that we we talk about that, and they're continuing to happen. So that has to stop. It just, you, I, you have to get in a rhythm and then in the red zone, you got to be more effective. Well, it's more than just penalties in the red zone. They began the game 0 for 8 in the third down. How the hell do you fix this Bears offense, Mike? Oh, wait, first of all, they, they were two for, I think they were two for 15 or something like that on third down in the game. And this is the worst, this is historically, historically the worst third down defense in all of football. I mean, so this is really bad and you can't get them. And he said something about penalties, right? Okay. First drive of the game with his vaulted script, BU, Matt, BU, right? 
He's got that written on his play sheet. BU. He goes six plays. He gets 41 yards. They turn the ball over on downs. They can't get third and one. Now, last year, they're the worst third and one football team in all of football. They couldn't convert. They had no power in their offensive line. They fired their line coach. They brought Juan Castile in, and guess what? They have less power now than they ever had before. So they can't convert a fourth and one. They try to run the ball. They get stuffed. All right. So, But there were no penalties on that drive. All right. The next play they come out, they go three and out, seven yards, no penalties on that drive. The next play they come out, three three plays, four yards going down, no penalties on that drive. The next drive, they get three plays, two yards. They went seven, four, two on the drives, no penalties on that drive. Then they come back out. They have a seven play drive. Hold on, man. This is, you're looking at that sheet a long time when you got seven plays there, 23 yards, no penalties, right? Then they go, then they punt. They go four plays again, 15 yards, one first down, no penalties. They got, they got nothing. And then at the end of the half, they had, they had a, for the first penalty and they, and that was the end of the half. So I, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. The first four drives of the game in the first quarter, he punted every single drive or, you know, he got lost one on downs, but he gained seven, four, and two yards on those four drives. He gained basically on, on three drives, he gained 13 yards and, and with no penalties. So like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like his offense is broken. Like he is not a good offensive designer. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. It, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And he doesn't have an answer for it because here's the fundamental issue. He can't play with power. He hired the line coach to fix the line. And what happened? He made it worse. He's made it worse. Now you could say, well, they had a bunch of injuries in the line. No, 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 no. They've been bad in that offensive line since, as Tony would say, since time immemorial. I mean, they've been bad, right? And so the, that's the fact like, that's the fact. I've been bitching about this for so long. They're in Chicago. There's wind. There's rain. There's snow. There's sleet. There's hell. There's all sorts of shit. And you can't gain the length of you know what because you got no power in your offensive line. That, to me, is not a production problem. That's a design problem. Like, you're sitting in Hallis Hall, and you know you're playing on a slow grass field, and you're the GM, and you're the head coach, and you got to say, Matt, look, I know Kansas City. I know it's Andy Reid. However, we got to play with a little bit more power. We need power when we have it. Don't know power. No power at all. David Montgomery is their leading rusher right now. He's got 472 yards. He averages 3.6. He's got one touchdown this year. And I'm not putting it all on Montgomery. Like you said, it's the offensive line as well. And Foles has proven once again, we know who Nick Foles is. I'll give you the numbers. Seven games played, 1,746 yards, okay? He throws about 250 yards a game, 10 touchdowns, seven picks. He's streaky, but he's not great. He's not going to be the guy to lead your team to victory. He can do it for the Eagles for a couple times, you know, obviously in the playoffs, Philly special all the rest of it, but this Bears offense, and now the trade deadline's come and gone, Mike. You can't fix it. Now you're five and four. The Packers are six and two. At best, your wild card team, and if I'm the defense, you know how salty I would be? Like, we are carrying this team. We are somehow above 500, and the offense can't even hold a pail of water. And we got a head coach who's an offensive coach. They're looking at him like, yo, dude, you gonna fix this, man? Like, what are you doing? And Mitch is sitting over there rehabbing his shoulder saying, see, it wasn't all my fault. See, this is helping Mitch out. They're leading rusher yesterday but Barcavius Mingo, he had 11 yards rushing. I mean, David Montgomery had seven carries for five yards against the Tennessee Titans defense, which is really a bad defense. I mean, the Tennessee Titans defense, you can't get any worse than they were. Going into the game, they were, aver they were giving up over four and a half yards a carry. 
I mean, they going into the game, they were at 60% conversion on third down. If you don't move the ball against bad, when do you move the ball? <laughs> when do you move the ball? I mean, if you're Ryan Pace, like, what are you saying to yourself? Like, what do you say? You're five and four. You know, you got, and, and the defense just gets to the point. You got 17 points in the fourth quarter when the game was over. The game was over. It was, like you said, it wasn't that even close. Like, you could sit there and blame penalties. You're the most penalized team in all of football. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Like, it's pretty clear where Matt Nagy sits as a head coach. It's pretty clear. Like, again, I'm not attacking Matt as a person. I don't know him. I'm just trying to be honest and aware. And if you're looking at what's going on, and you're evaluating the situation of the Chicago offense, you have no choice but to accept the fact that they don't have a good design. Filippo's there. Bill Lazor's there. Uh, again, you know, you brought those two coaches in to help you come up with a design. And the design is horrible. It's horrible. Is it Filippo's fault? I don't know. You know, he went to Minnesota after Philadelphia. He got fired in Minnesota. Went to Jacksonville. Got fired. Come to Chicago. I don't know. I'm sure he'll be up for every head coaching job known to mankind this offseason because he's got a great PR campaign. But the reality of it is, is like, tell me, tell me where this Bears offense is, is imaginative. Tell me what they're doing. You've made all these changes, right? And you haven't gotten any better. So that tells me you don't know really what your problems are. You mentioned Mingo, by the way, the leading rusher. That came in a fake punt. That's how bad it is. You have to rely on like trickery to try to generate any sort of sustained offense. Um, speaking of offensive struggles, that would be the Baltimore Ravens, and yet they come through with the victory. Give Lamar Jackson credit because it was an ugly first half, but in the second half was able to, to do some things. Here's the numbers. Threw for 170, no touchdowns, but he did rush for a team-high 58 yards with a score. Now, Baltimore's defense looked good, and it should be noted, by the way, Lamar was facing a really good defense in the Colts. Problem for the Colts is their offense is brutal. Phillip Rivers looked terrible. He was missing guys all over the place, and Lamar Jackson now ties former Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino for the best start, 25-5 and by by a quarterback to begin his career. There's different ways you can look at it, Mike. I think for Baltimore, I say, you know what? It wasn't a pretty win, but it was a win that we got against a good team in Indianapolis, and Lamar did enough to win. I'm still concerned about the offense. There's no question about it, but it was successful because we got the win, and again, our defense really did strong against Rivers and company. Yeah, and I mean, they got a break. I mean, I don't know how they ruled that, and I don't know how they ruled that a completion fumble. I, I just really don't. I mean, I don't know how they ruled that. I, I don't know how that was, you know, and it led to a touchdown. I just don't know how that was. I don't know how, you know, I mean, my whole perception of what the rules are and what that is, I don't know. But, you know, I, I agree, you know, Lamar threw four incomplete passes in the game. And I thought in the second half specifically, when you look at the second half, the first half, they were terrible offensively. You know, they they got they got four first downs in the first half. They didn't do anything. However, the second half, the second half, they come out, they get an eight-play drive, they got the ball all the way down to the Colt three, and Gus Edwards fumbles. You know, then they go another 10-play drive, they get a touchdown. Then they go another 14-play drive, they get a touchdown. Then they're trying to run the game out. They go three plays, eight yards, they punt, and then they finally finish the game with a field goal. But they dominated. I think the story of this game is so much on Lamar, but I think the story of this game is really the second half of what they did, Baltimore did. The Ravens had the ball 13 minutes and 41 seconds in the third quarter in this game. And Rivers couldn't convert a third down. Because why? We've been saying this all along here on the GM Shuffle. When Rivers plays against a fast defense, he can't play fast. He's too. He can't move right or left. And when the play breaks down, I mean, and that's what happened in the game. He can't make the throws. I mean, at the end of the game, 
Brissett's got to come in at the end of the half to throw the ball down the field to get it in the end zone to try to play. I thought this was a perfect example of a coach, Frank Wright, who I love. I think Frank Wright's a really good coach. But I think Frank Wright extended himself in this game, in this season, to believe Phillip Rivers was the answer. And he did everything in this game to make sure Phillip Rivers wasn't going to look like the villain. They threw a zillion checkdowns. They did everything they could to keep Rivers from being the villain. And what they ended up doing was they proved the point beyond any reasonable doubt that Phillip, when he has to move against a fast defense, the game is over. It's too hard for him. And I love Phillip Rivers. I love him. I think he's great. I wish all my grandsons have his competitive gene in them. I wish that that happens. However, that being said, just object objectively, if you're Chris Ballard and you're looking at this team, you're a quarterback away from competing at the next level. If you had Teddy Bridgewater, who played well against the Chiefs, you might actually be a better team. You might actually be a better team. And I'm not saying Bridgewater's the long-term answer, you know, but just on the way he's played this year, it's better than Phillip. And I think that's the biggest issue. I mean, this game was a was a referendum on Phillip Rivers and their inability. I mean, look, they couldn't run the ball on Baltimore, right? So you can't run the ball on Baltimore. You know, they had they had the basically their two the, the best play they had was the re- reverses. They had 14, 28 yards to Harris. But at the most part, you can't run it. And you can't convert third downs. And when you can't convert third downs, they, they were two for 12 on third down. And we know Frank Wright's a good third down play caller. Speaking of Frank Reich, he was asked whether he can lead this league without a Lamar Jackson type quarterback. Take a listen to this. No, my thoughts are we can, we can, win, we can win it all with our personnel. I really believe that. And we got a top-notch quarterback. We got a top-notch O-line. We got to prove it every week. And we've played really well at times. And, uh, you know, we went up against a very good defense today, one of the best defenses in the NFL. And at times, you know, we were for a decent part of it. It felt like we were executing pretty well. But um, I got all the confidence in the world, our guys. He's lying, right, Mike? He knows they can't do it with Phil Rivers. I mean, he has to know it, right? I mean, if he's if he's not, he's lying to himself. I mean, he's got to be honest with himself. I think he did by his game plan. I think if you just look at what he did with his game plan, he told you. You know, he told you. Now, he didn't have T.Y. Hilton in the game, but he was telling you that I've got to do everything to keep Rivers from making a mistake. I can't let him hold the ball. He didn't get sacked in the game. He only threw one interception. But they, they, they had, you know, he had 40 attempts. He had 43 attempts for 227 yards. I mean, you can't win that way. You've got to make it, the longest play of the day was 21 yards. You're not going to beat it. You're not going to beat a good defense going 12 plays. I mean, it's hard. I mean, they're going to create a negative play, which they always do. And I think at the end of the day, that that's the issue. And I think Frank is just, you know, he's got, he went all in on Phillip Rivers and he's got to protect him, but he's got to be honest with himself. I don't think he's going to make a quarterback change that honest, but this team can't play against the great teams in the league if they play against a defense that can really rush the passer and create problems. Next week against Tennessee, do I think Tennessee will give them trouble? No, Tennessee's one of the worst defenses in all of football. They're, you know, they can't, they, they don't really rush well, even though they have the greatest pass rusher in the history of football in Javion Clowney. You know, they, they, they can't rush. They, they can't do any of that. So the reality here is he'll make plays and then all the media will come out and say, see, he's, Phillip's really good. No, it's all matchups every week. It's all matchups. I think the other thing, AD, what I learned this, this weekend in the NFL, and if I were a co- head coach in the NFL and, and, I, and I watched this weekend's games as an objective observer, 
the number one thing I would have learned is if you don't continue to run your game plan in the fourth quarter, if you don't have something unique in the fourth quarter, whether you're winning or if you're behind, if you're behind, it's easy. But when you're winning, you've got to score in the fourth quarter. You've got to make it a mandate. The Giants almost lost. They didn't score in the fourth. The Cowboys lost. They, they had the lead. They gave up 15 points in the fourth. They didn't score a point. They did not score a point. The Cardinals did not score a point in the fourth. The Raiders, they got one first down in the fourth quarter based on a field, and they got a field goal. They scored three points as a gift because the, 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 the Chargers turned it over. They didn't score. When you don't score in the fourth, Texas didn't score in the fourth. They almost lost. The Colts didn't score in the second half. They lost. You know, that's the key to football is you can't, you know, you can't keep a lead. You can't hold the lead with your defense. And speaking of defense, there wasn't much of that when it came to Miami and Arizona. This one lived up to the hype, Mike. If you want to see two great young quarterbacks going head to head, Tua Tungavailoa and Kyler Murray. And Brian Flores, this defense is allowing the fewest points in the league coming in per game. Uh, but Kyler Murray definitely had some fun out there. I mean, listen, he had 19 of his first 23 passes were comp- completions. Three of those completions went for touchdowns. He ran all over Miami's defense. But say this for Tua, you know, first start was fine. It was the defense that carried him. This time, he actually threw for 248, had a couple of touchdowns, a big third and short, used his legs. And now this is a resurgent Miami Dolphins team. They're 2-0 with Tua, but they've got five wins in their last six games. And this was a game, I know you've been hesitant to praise Tua because you want to see it. Well, this was a game where you say, okay, if you're a Tonga Vailoa fan, here's where you got to see a glimpse of his potential and what makes this guy special and why people love watching him at Alabama, right? I, I thought he played as well as I've seen him. I thought he had a scramble for 17 yards that was what we needed to see there was a little there was a wow factor in that I thought he played much better this week I think that they did a great job of giving him throws that really fit into his powerhouse and you know he lost Preston Williams in the game uh, but Parker made plays for him and look he only had eight incomplete passes in the game they were able to I mean when they changed running backs when they got away from Howard which this wasn't a game for Howard Howard averaged under two yards a carry and they went to Ahmad you know, they got a little bit more juice. They got more quickness. And then he led the team and, you know, he was second in the team in rushing at 35 yards. So I think you got to feel much better about Tua after this week than you did after week one. And Arizona, to me, this is a game where I just wonder what Cliff was thinking about, right? So here's the situation, right? And, and this is why if you don't pay attention to a three-dimensional problem, you're going to make mistakes as a coach. You really are. So Kingsbury's got the ball. He has the ball. There's 3.30 to go in the game. He is, it's, it, he is down by three points. They just made a 50-yard field goal, and now you get the ball. Them kicking the field goal on fourth and one for a 50-yarder, that you had to say to yourself, rejoice, rejoice. This is a great opportunity. Gets the ball. He comes down. Third and one at the Miami 31-yard line. Murray throws an incomplete pass. Fourth and one. One fifty-eight to go in the game. You still have two timeouts left, 158 to go. You're on Miami's side of the field, fourth and one. You try a 49-yard field goal. Now, understanding you want to tie the game, but here's where the second element comes into play. There's a buck, there's a buck 58 to go in the game. They've got timeouts. Why am I going to, if I make this and I tie the game up, I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get beat. Me kicking this field goal, even if I make it, the outcome, even if the outcome is perfect, then I'm still going to get beat. I've given them too much time. 
They've got a field goal kicker that just made right in front of me. He just made a 50-yarder. So I know this, right? I know he can make it in the same direction. So fourth, third and one, that third and one call, he tries to pass. I mean, that third and one call, this is why you're getting paid six, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year. That third and one call has got to be really good because that fourth and one call has got to be really good. And I think what Cliff didn't do here, again, I like Cliff. I'm not, this is a lesson all of us need to learn. You're not, you're playing against two opponents, the the the, the Miami Dolphins and the clock. And when you don't acknowledge the clock in the argument and you kick this 49-yarder, you set yourself up for failure because there's really no guarantee that you're going to walk, you're not going to stop them. They've moved the ball. They've scored 10 points in the fourth quarter on you right before you. You've watched this kicker kick a 50-yarder. So, like, why do this? To me, this was the game. I think this is a game that Arizona dominated the game, but they allowed Miami to sneak in the fourth quarter. They didn't score any fourth quarter points, and they gave away the game on a decision. This decision haunts them. Yeah, it's one of those that you look at it and say, oh, well, you know, defense wasn't good enough. But no, if you're playing a shootout, that's fine. Just you have to hope that your offense can step up, match them blow for blow, and you can try to win this game and overwhelm them. But unfortunately for the Cardinals, they can't do it. And that's one of those games, hey, let's try to steal a win here. They can't in a very competitive division, the NFC West. You'll wonder how that will have an impact moving forward. When we come back, Seattle's defense, a liability. Chargers can't get a win for Herbert. And Teddy Bridgewater did all he could. Stay tuned for all that more on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. So this is the inverse of the Chicago Bears. Bears are all defense, no offense. Seattle's all offense, no defense. Russell Wilson's going to ball out again. And listen, he does what he can. 390 yards, two touchdowns. He also threw two interceptions. One in the end zone, and he lost two fumbles. So Russell Wilson getting turnover-itis. I mean, he came up for all four of the Seahawks turnovers during the game. And the defense couldn't stop the Bills. All of a sudden, Josh Allen looks like Jim Kelly. And try to figure out Josh Allen. So he starts the season, everyone's, oh my God, he's the MVP of the league. Then the next four games, he slows down. Then yes, Yesterday, he was incredible. I mean, 44 points they put up. He threw for 415 and three touchdowns. He got sacked a season high seven times, but ultimately he was able to throw the ball away and make plays. And we can give Buffalo credit, and certainly Allen looked great, Mike. There's no question about it. But for Seattle, you're not going anywhere with that defense, period. No, 
And, and you know, look, he's fired Ken Horton, Ken Norton once. Now I know Ken's got his spikes on, he's got his fingers taped, but this is about as bad a coordinated defense as you possibly can get. And I know everybody made a big deal. They got Jamal Adams. Well, Jamal Adams, you know, is a pass rusher. I don't care how much the media makes him out to be this great, great player. He is a great run defender. He is a great attack the pocket as the fifth rusher. If he gets matched up on a little running back or if he gets matched up on, on someone who can't block him, but if he's going against an offensive lineman, he's not a great pass rusher because he's not going to be able to get around him. He's going to get punched. But he really doesn't add that element to the defense because they can't create negative plays. I mean, they just can't. They've given up 100 points in the fourth quarter this year. They gave up 50 in the first quarter. I mean, they give up way too many points. And when they get behind in a game, they can't get stops. I mean, they couldn't even get lined up on a third and 16. They don't even get lined up right. And the next thing you know, John Brown runs it down to the one. Look, I I think it was an easy game for Josh Allen. The weather was perfect. And it was pitch and catch against a really, really bad Seattle secondary. And I say that because Jamal Adams is a linebacker. He's not a safety. He's not a safety making plays like Ryan Fitzpatrick was making on the ball. He's not that kind of uh, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm sorry. He's not that kind of safety. He's an in-the-box Cover three, you've got to rush him. He's going to play good against the run. Well, Buffalo didn't want to run the ball yesterday. Buffalo had no interest in running the ball. Buffalo knew the weakness of their team was the secondary, so why not take advantage of it? And and Seattle's got a Super Bowl contending team with no defense. And Pete, congratulations on his extension. He deserves it. He's a great coach, but he's got to take over the defense and fix it. He's a defensive coach, and this defense is not very well coordinated. Well said. The 44 points allowed the most in Pete Carroll's 11 seasons in Seattle. You mentioned the fact he gets an extension by Seattle. He's believed to be the highest paid head coach in the NFL, more than Belichick, more than anybody. But here's what he said after the game on not being able to adapt defensively. We got to make sure that we we can adjust to it. These guys didn't even try to run the football today. You know, we didn't expect that to happen. We didn't think they would just totally abandon the running game. And uh, we had a real nice plan if they were going to run it. Um, so, we, we have to be able to adapt better uh, to make sure that we can turn it around faster. You know, if, if we turn the ball over four times, it's going to be a hard day. And, and uh, I don't know what the, what the scores were, but I think they scored every time we turned it over. And that just adds to a day when you're already struggling a little bit. And that's, that's enough to make a game look like that. Okay. He's right about the turnovers, but that's embarrassing. If you feel like, Hey, you know what? We just thought they were going to run the ball. And once they started passing, we couldn't adjust. Really? Like maybe for a couple of series, you can't adjust, but figure it out. That's terrible. It's really bad AD. And I think, you know, to me, the only reason the bills ran the ball the week before the tape that Pete was watching is because the the Patriots encouraged them to run. They played a nickel front. The weather was shitty and it was hard to throw the ball. And the Patriots just said, look, we're, you know, if you can run it, we'll keep this game. We'll stay close. We'll be able to, we got a chance to win it. But, you know, and the weather helps us. Whereas in this game, you know, if you study anything that Brian Dable has ever done as it relates back to New England, you know, New England's always been really good at attacking Pete Carroll's scheme defensively. They do a great job of clearing and replacing, which always gives them open guys. They understand Pete's adjustments. And you have to know that you don't watch the last three tapes of what Buffalo does. You just watch what New England has always done against you, and Dayball was going to do that. And he did a great job of it. And Josh Allen looked great. And it's on Pete. I mean, Pete's got him. You got to, you know, that's what the first quarter is all about, fellas. Here is the game. Like, let's take the Ravens game, for example. I'm watching the Ravens play the Colts. 
And the first thing that enters my mind is if I'm Don Martindale is, look, this is going to be a quick game. He's getting the ball out of his hands. We've got to latch on early. We've got to stop them from getting the ball out quick because they're just going to try to keep Rivers from beating from beating himself. Okay, that's the game plan. All right, well, now we got to adjust. Well, it's the same thing in Buffalo. You know, if you're Ken Norton, you're sitting there, they're going to throw it because they know they don't want to really, really run the ball. They can't get a hat on a hat in their eight-man front. They can't. They don't have a good matchup block of Jamal Adams, right? They don't play really with power in their front. So we're going to have to play a good game against them and make an adjustment. That's what's called coaching. And I think Pete knows it. I mean, Pete said it yesterday. Now, look, the turnovers are problematic. And and I think that, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't make that many. I mean, some of the throws Russell Wilson makes, I mean, he threw a ball to Tyler Lockett in the back corner of the end zone as he was as he was getting pressure. I mean, it was one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. Lockett, it hit Lockett in the hands. He dropped it. It would have been a hard catch. It was one of the greatest throws I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the guy does remarkable things on the field and to let him have this kind of year and not have any defense because you can't make an adjustment is really a sad commentator, real commentary on Ken Norton more than anybody. Ken Norton loved his dad fighting Ali, but yeah, as a DC, kids got to do a little bit better. Um, it's interesting when you look at I said off the top, the cautionary tale, you mentioned the podcast, you said, this is why I don't gamble, because I would have guaranteed the Bucs to beat the Saints. Well, this is why you should gamble, this game, Chargers and Raiders, because as you had predicted, Mike, and you've said it all along, hey, if it's a close game, the Chargers are going to lose that game. And all of their losses, they're now two and six, have come by seven points or less. They lose 31 to 26. Once again, Herbert, a pass to Donald Parham Jr., four-yard touchdown, final play of the game, overturned after a replay review. And all of a sudden, Las Vegas with John Gruden, they're now five and three, and they're actually four and one on the road. Give credit to their rushing attack. Devontae Booker, Josh Jacobs, they had 160 yards in the ground. They averaged 6.2 yards a carry. That's not what you expect necessarily with a John Gruden offense. But first and foremost, Anthony Lynn, can't get it done in the crunch time again. I mean, look, and it, and it, you knew it was. Okay, so the, the Raiders are playing without their two starting tackles. We know Trent Brown was on COVID. Colton Miller had a bad ankle. So they don't have their two starting. The Chargers didn't have Bosa. But, you know, the Gruden, we knew he was going to do a good job of scheming this how he was going to, right? And they get the early. But we also knew the Raiders' defense was was problematic and that Justin Herbert was going to have a good day throwing the football. That we knew. But we also knew that because the Chargers' offensive line is terrible, that the Raiders' defensive line is going to appear better than it really is because they can rush against the Charger front. They can do that. So that, that to me, the handicapping of that game was right. It, it really turned out that way. And, and as we got into the fourth quarter, the Raiders kind of played, they, they kind of got a little bit of a, in a shell. They, had, they, they couldn't really make any explosive plays. They didn't want to expose their tackles. So they get the ball. You know, with nine minutes to go in the in the fourth quarter, the, the score is twenty eight twenty six. They need points here. They need points here, and they go three and out. You know, they try to run the ball. They they throw an incomplete pass to Walker, and then Carr throws another incomplete to Renfro. It's they punt. Kid drops the punt. Hill drop missed it. They, the, the Raiders recover. Now the Raiders, to me, they have the ball first and ten at the thirty one. They need seven points here. They need seven points here. There's no chance. There's no fucking chance that I'm I'm watching this game. I'm saying to myself, we need seven here because the field goal, even though it it, it takes it away from being a field goal game, is really meaningless because they're going to drive it down the field, right? The Raiders get their only first down in the fourth quarter on this drive. The only first down in the fourth quarter on that drive, right? They get a third and seven. And again, Gruden plays conservative at the Chargers 18. He plays for the field goal, which to me, he gets in a fourth and two. And at that point, 
I'm almost tempted to go for it because in my mind, in my mind, yes, I know I would have extended the lead. It would have been a field goal game. It was not the right thing to do. But in my mind on first and 10, when I had the ball at the Chargers 23 after I got a first down, I had to score a touchdown. I had to put the five best plays I could put in because I needed seven there. The three were meaningless. Okay. Gruden does the right thing. I'm not criticizing it. Although to me, I think the play calling before it was a problem because he's not paying attention to his defense, right? His defense can't stop him. He kicks the field goal, makes it 31-26. Now they come back down. The Chargers get the ball, right? And the Chargers are just do what the Chargers do. They just start moving the ball down the field. This kid makes incredible throws. He gets sacked. He overcomes them. You know, he he overcomes a holding call, first to 20. He goes nine yards. Then he throws a, a 46, another pass, and he throws a big play. And now he's got the ball. This is really important. He has the ball. They've moved it all the way down to the Raider four with seven seconds to go in the game. Okay. So it's it sets up perfectly for you, right? You got seven seconds to go in the game. You got two plays to score a touchdown. So I say to Millie on the couch, I said they're gonna throw they're gonna throw a fade to to Mike Williams. So they come out and they throw a fade to Mike Williams, and it's incomplete. Now, as a coach, as a head coach, you could say the player didn't execute the play. It's a it's a good call. As as a general manager, as I'm looking at it, that's got to be the laziest call you could possibly make. Like you have to have your team ready for what play are we going to run when we got to have it? When we got to have it, we have to have plays. What play are we going to run? Red zone, got to have it. You got to have at least two or three of them every week on your playlist, right? So they run the fade. The fade is the laziest, most non-creative play that you could possibly run. It's a 50-50. It's a jump ball. It's a 50-50 jump ball. Meanwhile, if you move Herbert around in the pocket and you let him try to move and the defense has to react to him, he'll make plays. But when you literally just get the ball out of his hand that quick, it's a 50-50 play. All right, there's one second left to go on the clock. One second. So now you got time. You got time. You got to come back. You got one play. What's your best play? They line up and empty. They put four receivers to one side, one receiver to the other side. Mill, it's going to be an alley-oop to this kid, to the tight end. They throw an alley-oop to a tight end, okay, Palmer, Par- Par- Parham, who's never, you know, he's a rookie player in a matchup because they like the size advantage, and the announcers go crazy because he think he'd catch it. It's really clear on the television that you could see the ball move when he hits the ground. It was so clear, like, I don't know why we were celebrating. And then, again, so now you have two of the laziest calls you could possibly make in football. And Shane, Shane Strickland, the D offensive coordinator, to me, it's, that's on him. But this is where Anthony Lynn cost you games. This is where he cost you games because his team wasn't ready or prepared to handle the gotta-have-it situations. And you lose the game. You lose the game. And Gruden gets off. He gets, he gets, a buy, he gets off by, by kicking the field goal, made the right play. But really, he should have never gotten off in the game. It shouldn't have been a win because eventually he was going to lose that game if they could just execute two plays inside the five-yard line. And it wasn't like they made great plays. It wasn't like the Raider defense made great plays. They were just two lazy, lazy calls. So today, when the Charger coaches are sitting in the staff room, they say, we just didn't make plays. We just didn't make plays, right? And Bill Walsh would say, that's on the coaches. That ain't on the players. And that, to me, is the game. 
And that's where you get paid all the, that's why you're getting paid seven, $8 million a year. That's why Pete Carroll should needs to, he should be the highest paid. Pete Carroll should make 20 million a year. Bill Belichick should make 20 million. These head coach, Sean Payton should make, tw- if the cap's 200 million, these guys should make at least 10% of it. Mike Tomlin, tw- 10% of it. There's no doubt in my mind. But you got to bring something to the table that separates you from somebody else. And these are the kind of situations that you have to do it in. And if you're not prepared for them, you're going to lose. And that's why the Chargers lose. They're never prepared for the end of the game situation. They just think it's always going to be the players, not the coaches. Uh, it's a ball detail breakdown. I can just imagine you calling the fade. Now the Chargers look to fade away even further. Like I said, two and six. I want to go back. We do have a clip here from John Gruden. This was the last play of the first half and the ensuing fumble. Take a listen to Chucky. Again, that's my call. We scored with 25 seconds left against New England in a two-minute drill. If you look at the play, uh, Waller's wide open. We have a big play to Waller. Unfortunately, the ball got knocked out. Uh, we gave up a big third and 15. Then we gave up a touchdown, and uh, we wanted to try to get in long-range field goal position with Carlson. Uh, and uh, I don't regret calling it. I do regret the results, so that's for sure. What do you make of those comments, Mike? I, I think he's right. I mean, look, he's. I think he knows. Look, here's the reality. He knows his defense is terrible. He knows this. And this was a game that he couldn't get control of, that he couldn't really get control of like he wanted to because typically he wants the ball 34 minutes and he wants his defense to play 25. In this game, it was flipped. The Chargers had the ball 34, almost 35 minutes. So he knew he was going to need points. I think he got conservative in the fourth quarter. He got really conservative in the fourth quarter, and it almost cost him. He scored those three points in the fourth, and that cost him. But he knew that he needed every possession he needed to try to maximize. I don't fault him. I mean, look, that's happens. That's football. You make bad plays. And if you got a chance and you can attack their secondary and you can make plays, go ahead and do it. You know, he I think I think that play spooked him a little bit because those two tackles, playing backup tackles made him worried. Ultimately, the Raiders do emerge with that victory and the uh praise for Herbert is well deserved because as you said, every week you watch him and you go, man, 26 of 42, 326, two touchdowns. This guy is special. Speaking of special, that would be Patrick Mahomes. Passes for four touchdowns, 372 yards and 45 attempts. His passer rating of 165.4 as KC, they beat Carolina, but it was a squeaker, man. 33 to 31. They barely pull off the victory. And Christian McCaffrey, by the way, he comes back from injury, punched in one rushing touchdown. He caught 10 passes, one touchdown and 82 yards. And Bridgewater passes for 310. He had a passer rating of 140. So lots of great performances all over the place. And then how about Travis Kelsey? He's recorded a combined 268 yards in his last two games and seven games left to play. He's going to have one of the best seasons of his career. Talk about the offense in this one, Mike, all over the place, KC and Carolina. No doubt. I mean, how about this? The Chiefs had the ball just 22 minutes in the game, and they get almost 400 yards. And they're 55% on third down. And I think if you're a Carolina Panther fan, and I'm not saying this because my son's there, but you got to feel like you got a bright future. I mean, when McCaffrey with Davis on the field and some of these skilled players they have, if they rep- if they get that offensive line up to snuff and the way Brady calls plays and Teddy Two Glove was executing in the game, I mean, that was as good a game plan as I've seen by a team of any. They ran a fake punt. They had onside. I mean, they did everything that you had to do to beat the Chiefs. You go into the game as a 10-point underdog 
and you're right there. You're one field goal away from winning this game. I and mean, it's two weeks in a row now. They just could not get in enough field goal range to win the game. And, and the kid could make long field goals. They lost the Saint game that way, and they lost this game that way. So, you know, to me, I think the future is way brighter. But when you look at the Panthers, the issue really is on their defense. Their issue is they can't force any plays on third down. They can't get off the field. They couldn't do it against the Saints. They couldn't do it against the Falcons. And that's why they're losing close games. I think they've they've only forced about two punts in the last three games. So they just can't get off the field. And a lot of that is is related to their defense. I mean, you know, they forced they forced a punt at the end of the Carolina game. But Carolina, but the Chiefs go field goal, field goal, touchdown, fumble, miss field goal, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I mean, the Chiefs scored 21 points in the fourth in the in, in the third in the second half. That's why they win, you know. And and the Panthers dominated the time of possession. I mean, the Chiefs scored the Chiefs scored 14 points in the fourth quarter in three minutes and 46 seconds. That's why it's really hard to play him because unless you can pressure him like we talked about earlier on the pod, if you can get in there and really pressure him, it's the only chance you have because he's so damn good and they've got such good skill. Let me ask let me ask you this, AD. Do you think Andy Reid would have called two fades at first and goal at the five with seven seconds? Do you think he would have done that? <laughs> Do you? No chance in hell, man. And nor would Sean Payton. Anybody who's like a strong offensive mind is not going to do that. No doubt. And that that's where if you're Dean Spanos, you're saying, look, why don't I have that? And this is why they win. I mean, they have such a great game plan. They do it. I think Matt Rule's done a remarkable job. I know they've only won three games, but he's changed this whole tenor of the team. They just got to get better on defense. Could have been a crazy end. Speaking of Matt Rule, let's hear what he has to say. They tried to win this with the longest field goal in NFL history, a 67-yard attempt. We were trying to get the ball up five, 10 yards to take a chance at the field goal. You know, we had one of those plays designed where it was like throw the Hail Mary uh, and, and on one side and on the other side was the, um, was the out route. Uh, Teddy threw the out route, left two seconds out there. You know, um, had the wind at our back. So we thought, you know, our best chance was to, to kick it. Um, obviously didn't work. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a long ways to go, um, uh, which, uh, which uh, uh, the penalty certainly didn't help. It always with those like insanely long field goals, you always say, well, he's got the leg. It's just going to be the accuracy. I swear, every time I think that, I go, well, you could hit 67, but between the, the uprights, no way. It, it, it really is. I mean, and and I think the play that really hurt them the most was, you know, when when it, there was about 25 seconds, he threw a 23-yard pass play to Bridgewater, threw it to Curtis Samuel, and Samuel went down right away. Instinctively, that was the right thing to do. But if he could have just gained 10 more yards and then they checked, then they stopped the clock, he he had room to run there. He went down. And I think that that's just one of those mistakes you make because you're doing the smart thing, but it ends up costing you. And they tried to get it in. But I mean, look, it's remarkable. I mean, that that you that you held the ball eleven minutes and fourteen seconds in the fourth quarter, and that's what you have to do against Kansas City. You've got to hold it, and yet they scored two touchdowns and they beat you. And they were three for four on third down in the fourth. I mean, they just they they you're going to have to play perfect to beat the Chiefs because if you try to play a track meet like they did. They're better at it than you are. Exactly. And as long as there's enough time on the clock, they will get it done, even though it looked a little dicey, at least early on. After the break, weekly awards will preview what could be a terrible Monday Night Football game and who is a Canadian icon who is a legend in broadcasting. We'll pay tribute next. Next. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures market, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, it's time now for the weekly awards. First off, on the lamb, Mike, you got that Bears coach, Matt Nagy, offensive guru, and the offensive missing in action. I mean, seriously, if you're a Bear fan, I feel bad for you. I really do. I mean, you know, this was supposed to be what his specialty is. And the the bigger issue is 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 not that Matt is doesn't call a great game or design a great game plan. I think the real issue is he's not been able to fix the problems. Like to me, if you have an issue with the offensive line and then you hire Juan Castile and it's not, and that line still isn't very good, that, that's on you. You picked the wrong guy. You didn't identify the problem and you didn't identify the guy who could solve the problem. You hired a friend. You hired a friend. You hired somebody that Bob Lamont represents because you're represented by Bob Lamont. And so you just basically went ahead with that. And that's really ultimately where if you're Matt Nagy and then you hired Filippo or you hired, you know, you hired these other guys, Billy Lazor, you didn't solve the problem. And none of those guys, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not attacking Castile, Nagy. I this is about, you're the chief executive officer. You're the chief figure out guy. What you figured out and what your decision-making was, what your solution to the problems were didn't work out. I mean, you've got to be able to define the, the the skill necessary to address the problem. And he didn't do that. And, and I think this is where you are. This is not a problem against Tennessee. This was a problem back in January and February when he didn't identify the problem and who had the skills that could basically fill the problems. And he went with friendships, and this is what you get. What you get is a Bears team now five and four, two games back. The Packers at six and two in the NFC North. The Fred Palermo world—that's the best game plan going into the week. You got a couple here: Sean Payton and the Saints just overwhelming the Buccaneers, and Matt Rule and the Panthers almost pulling off a victory. Yeah, I mean, I thought I like both game plans. I really did. I, I mean, Sean Payton to me is remarkable how he's able to control the pace of the game. He's able to call, have multiple plays, but look different with the multiple plays. I mean, it's really just a tribute to his ability as a play caller, as a play designer, and and Breeze can execute. Even though Breeze doesn't throw it down the field with those skilled players, they're really effective. And so it, he's a challenge. And, and I thought Todd Bowles would get the best of him, but they haven't beaten him. And Bruce Arians has not beaten Sean Payton yet. 
He hasn't beaten him yet. Has not beaten him yet. And I don't think he's, and he's not coming closer to beating them. Pretty critical games there too, especially when you look at those divisional type matchups. If you don't know, now you know. What's your main takeaway from the week of football? You get a couple here, right? Yeah, I mean, I think my main takeaway is, is one of the mains is I talked about it. If you don't score in the fourth, you're going to get yourself beat. Atlanta scored in the fourth this week and they were almost a hair away from losing it. You know, they were almost, as Uncle Junior said, you know, Tony's that cunt hair away from being the head of all of the, <laughs> all New Jersey, and I'm that cunt hair. That, that's what happens. And so that's really the problem. If you don't continue to score and be aggressive and really understand your game plan on what you need in the fourth quarter and how you adapt to that, I think that's one of the key lessons we've learned this weekend. Because you're, this isn't going to be like college football where you, have, where you have all this, you know, you've built this lead up and you can just run the clock down the, the games are too tight the games are way too tight you got to have something for the fourth quarter so that's that to me is a huge lesson I think these old quarterbacks I mean I love Tom Brady to death Philip Rivers but if they don't get protection at this point in their career it's over it's over it's the same thing with Drew Brees although they do a better job protecting Drew Brees than they do but when you make either one when you make Brady or Rivers move right and left not up right and left, and make them have to reload and move, all of a sudden it becomes a different game. And then my final one, AD, is, look, if Pete Carroll doesn't fix the defensive problem in Seattle, they're not going to outscore people. They're just not. They're just not going to be able to do it. I think that is absolutely accurate, especially for the case of the Seattle Seahawks. Monday night football tonight, mismatch, right? Patriots and the Jets. The Patriots right now, they're 0-3 away from Foxborough. They're 2-5. The Jets are 0-8, and they want to lose. They're tanking for Trevor Lawrence. This is what's happened with these two quarterbacks. Sam Darnold, three touchdowns, six interceptions. Cam Newton, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. It could be ugly tonight, but I, I don't know how the Pats don't win this game. Right, Mike? Well, I, you know, I think the lines, that it was it went up to 9.5. Yes. Like, how are the Patriots better than any team at 9.5? Like, that to me is absurd. Like, I know the Jets are bad, but the, the Patriots are not, they're not playing very very good football either. They have a lot of guys hurt. I think they have a ton of guys that, are, that aren't going to play. Their skill level is way down. The, I think the under is 41 and a half. I mean, to me, this has got a, the earmarks of a 20 to 17 game at best. I mean, both teams are, are going to struggle to score points. I think, I think it'll be a really close game. I think the Patriots are, are beat up. They're not healthy right now. They don't have explosiveness within their offense. I think it's going to be a challenge for them tonight. I really do. I think the Jets will cover. You know, this is one of those games where unless the Patriots play their best, they won't win. 55 degrees in East Rutherford for the game tonight. So look forward to that on Monday Night Football. And last, as we close up shop here on the GM Shuffle, and by the way, you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan S. Ferk, and make sure you follow the GM Shuffle on Instagram as well. You can always uh, email us as well, the mailbag. And please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Alex Trebek passes away yesterday, Mike, at the age of 80, pancreatic cancer. A day after Joe Biden wins the president-elect as Pennsylvania comes through for Joe, we lose Alex Trebek. And I just when I think of Alex Trebek, listen, great Canadian. I did the NHL draft, as you know. The Ottawa Senators had him uh, announce their pick, which is a nice touch via Zoom on the Jeopardy set. But I think of a guy who is intelligent, uh, who was witty and who was curious. And he really combined all those elements into Jeopardy. Like, I always found that interesting. If I, like I have friends who are big Jeopardy fans. I'm like, oh, okay. You invariably have those traits. You're intelligent, you're witty, and you're curious. And those are attributes that I think serve us well throughout life. And we're all really going to miss Alex Trebek because he was uh, incredible at his job. But I think those attributes, may I say, 
are uh, in in short supply these days. I wish more people were like Alex Trebek. No doubt. And and, uh, and uh, who's going to fill that Jeopardy void? The fact that that he was zooming with the Ottawa Senators, you know, what was it two weeks ago? And he and he passes away. Yeah, it was. I mean, a think, month ago I did the draft, and there's Alex Trebek doing the number two pick for the Senators. It's hilarious. I mean, it's just kind of remarkable that his his level of toughness must have been incredible. Because you know that 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 pancreatic cancer is not an easy thing. We know it's not easy. It's it's impossible to beat, and it's very very painful. So yeah, I mean you're right. I mean it, it's gonna the hardest job in in now is going to be who follows Alex Trebek on Jeopardy because those are huge shoes to fill. No question. It's always tough to kind of take over the mantle there from a legend like that. But I'm sure Jeopardy will endure and rest in peace to Alex Trebek and his family. Thank you so much to all of you for checking out the GM Shuffle. We'll talk to you again on Thursday night. 